watching us, wherever you're watching us uh, from around the globe or get this podcast. Welcome all of you that are here in the building. We're slowly transitioning to our new look or new sanctuary, if you want to call it that. Uh, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 11. We're going to finish chapter 11, get into chapter 12. A lot of good stuff. We're probably going to run just a few places tonight uh, also so we can uh, see some context of this with some things that Paul taught and Jesus taught. So let's pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Lord, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for all your goodness and mercy, <clears throat> things of which we've not earned. Uh, we come by way of grace. We know that through Christ, all these things have been made available and possible to us. Lord, we, we're so thankful for all the lives you've changed and all the people you've saved over the last two and a half years and all the people we've had the privilege of baptizing, Lord. That is nothing more important than salvation. And so we give you praise for that. And we thank you for making provision to uh, be able to accommodate the people that we've seen flooding into the kingdom, Lord. So we just give you praise for that. You know, We know that according to the psalmist, you've magnified your word above your name. And we esteem that here, Lord. We believe your word is... a Top, the top priority. And so without your word, we couldn't do anything correctly. And we thank you for your word, Lord. Make us students of the word. Make us not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And in doing so, we are embracing you, Jesus, because you are the word made flesh. And we give you praise tonight. And everybody said, amen. amen. All right, let's pick up in chapter 11. <clears throat> let's go to uh, uh, verse 15. Uh, after we talked about, and we talked about a lot of stuff last week about the two witnesses and, and about how that it looks like that the temple and the mosque, the Dome of the Rock could coexist. What I didn't forgot to mention last week is that if they built the temple in those 14 acres on the backside of the Dome of the Rock, <clears throat> the place of the Gentiles would be outside of that which they wouldn't need because the Gentiles would be treading the rest of that temple mount anyway. Uh, and then they would be where the east gate's at. So it all kind of makes sense after you read what Ezekiel and stuff said. So uh, we talked about that. And so let's go into this after this uh, third woe's coming. It says, then the, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, uh, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God upon on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord, God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reign. Now, I mentioned this in the last couple of studies that the Lord wasn't caught off guard when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. Uh, the Bible says in this book we're in that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existed before the world was created, before Adam and all that. And he wasn't caught off guard when Adam fell, when Eve fell. He had already entered into this agreement, what most theologians call the eternal uh, covenant of the everlasting covenant with his son that he would be the sacrifice the propitiation is how Paul puts it in the New Testament he would take our place that when we failed he would take our place this plan was already in place before Adam was created 
And so God knew that we, he has foreknowledge. He knows all things or he's not God. He give us our chance on our own. We blew it. Now, if you don't like headship, if you don't like substitutionary theology, then you can't make it to heaven <laughs> because that's the only way we can make it to heaven. None of us, our righteousness is as filthy rags. If you think it's unfair for God to hold you accountable for what Adam and Eve done, then you just need to take a little uh, inventory of your own life and look in the mirror to know that you would have blown it in the garden too, just like they did. So I don't have any stones to throw at Adam and Eve. I'm thankful for the last Adam, right? Jesus Christ, who's the last Adam. So we were given this opportunity, and so the law was given. None of us could keep the law. None of them could keep the law. Even the greatest people we read about, only Jesus could fulfill the law and keep every jot and tittle of it. He did, and because of that, now we can be placed in him. So this, this kingdom, if I can show you this on my pad here, this kingdom, is the devil's been given some level of uh, freedom. That's probably not the right word to say. The, the devil, within the confines of God's jurisdiction, has some leadway, right? So in, this, in here, the devil has some leadway, but he's always under the accountability and the jurisdiction of the Creator, God. If you remember when we go back to the book of Job, God, the devil showed up with the sons of God, it says, and he asked permission to get at Job. So he, he couldn't just go run over Job. He had to get permission to do it. And God thought so much of Job and had such a relationship, and Job had proved himself to be worthy of that kind of uh, uh, God's accolades that he, he gave him access to Job. Now, I guess we all hope that we're not that high on the list with God, right? That he would give the devil that kind of access to us. I, but sometimes we give. The Bible says in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 103, he weakened my strength in the way, talking about the Lord. Sometimes we're put in positions to where we can give off a fragrance, his strength. And when you think about that Psalm, then you go to the New Testament, the Bible says his strength is made perfect in our weaknesses. That's where God shines the most. Now, let me say something about weakness. All of us have encountered weakness. It doesn't mean we have to stay there, but we've seen weakness in our own life. And only you and I know, right? Only we know how deep God's dove into that weakness, right? You may have never told anybody, but you know how far that redemption has run deep into your soul and your spirit, your inner man, and brought you freedom and deliverance and hope and peace, peace that passes all understanding. Peace, the, the Greek says it this way, that rises above all of our circumstances. We're all going to have circumstances. You live in a world that is manipulated and, and controlled to some degree by Satan. The Bible calls him the God of this world, this system. He's got a system going on. So that system, his name, Satan, means adversary. And he opposes everything that God's for. He takes the opposite perspective on that. So he gives us adversity. He opposes our way. And because of that, we find ourselves in difficulties. And God allows that. That's part of our strength training, right? If you've ever been in a weight room or played ball, then they push you, right? to go the next lap. When I played ball in college, basketball, when we were training in the fall to get ready for the season, when, I, when we ran a certain course, 
The next day we ran it, we had to run it faster. We had to beat that time every time. So you used a little psychology and not run so fast the first time. <laughs> but the coaches knew, right? They keep records and they said, nah, you're going to run it again. So we all know that God has worked on our weaknesses. He's exposed those. When he met that woman at the well, like a wonderful surgeon, he just opened her up, cleaned her out. He wouldn't let her off the hook, right? I mean, he, he, he called her where she was at, right? But then he just filled her life with love and mercy and forgiveness. Like a wonderful surgeon. He is, he is the great physician. And so the Lord, the Lord has designed a place in our lives for him. Nothing else will fit there. That's why the world has to keep going back to those fake wells to draw water. Jesus said, if you drink of this water I'm offering you, you won't ever thirst again. And if you're living a life where you don't understand that, then you need to surrender your life to Christ. You need to have water that you never thirst from again. So <clears throat> God is bringing us to this third woe. The, uh, it says, we give you thanks the one who was, who is to come. He's the Alpha and Omega, was, he is, and is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. And the psalmist said in the Hebrew, he says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. I think that's how this says it in English. The psalmist in the Hebrew would say it this way, The Lord reigns, and you better be glad it's him and not someone else. And that's true. What if somebody besides the all-perfect one the all-knowing one, reign. What if you reign? What if I reign? We're so emotionally made up, we wouldn't do very well governing the whole earth, right? And so it's, uh, the psalmist said, the Lord reigns and you should be glad it's him and not someone else. The nations were angry and, the, and your wrath has come. You see that? God is uh, he's working redemptive primarily right now. Occasionally, we may see pockets of his judgment, and we read about them in the Scripture, and there's probably times we've seen pockets of his judgment. Maybe not; he's not been given the credit. But God is working in a redemptive mode. Pretty soon, he will be, he will be in a punitive position. He will start meeting out justice. And that's why I said, if we've watched around our world, it's not just in America, people crying for justice, but really people don't know what they're asking for because we live in a culture where somebody can be destroyed for something they did 30 years ago, even though they've repented and moved on. See, the world, here's, I'm talking to you world, everybody's listening, you don't have near the mercy the church does. Near. We take people in and out of these buildings week after week who've done horrendous things. We forgive them, let them have, the world don't do that. So that's why I'm saying to you, world, as I look at you through this camera, you have no idea what real justice is like. They don't have any idea. Real justice is all of us should die and pay the penalty for our own sins. That's justice. Amen. Now, the good news is gospel, the word gospel means good news, eugelion, good news with a reward. It's not just good news, it's good news with a reward. And that reward is certainly a relationship with God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and eternal life. Now, the good news is God made a way for us not to pay for our own sins, right? 
if we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and follow him, then we, he paid the price for our sins. In fact, he paid the price for everybody's sin, but not everybody wants to receive that. Not everybody accepts it. In fact, Jesus was very plain about many will not. Few will and many will not. And so true justice is that you and I get meted out to us what we deserve. And the Bible says if you break the law in one point, you broke the whole law. And the world don't understand that concept. We understand that. You may meet somebody at this altar who's lived a life horrendously of horrible things, maybe things that we don't even speak out. But if you're a true believer, you understand, though you may not have been involved in the same things where they were, you broke the law, you broke the law. And the Bible doesn't say the big liars go to hell. It says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. Not just the big ones, but all liars. So what's the remedy? The remedy is all of us have fallen and come short of the glory of God, right? Paul makes that clear. Our righteousness says filthy rag, there's none good, no, not one. So the remedy for that is Jesus Christ, right? He's, ta he's the last Adam. He takes my place. He's my substitution. God has placed all of his wrath up on his son. And this book is a good time to talk about. God took all of his wrath that should have been poured out on us, and not just us, but anybody that's uh, born of Adam and Eve, and put it on his son. The good news with the reward is that if I accept his son, then my penalty's been paid. If I do not, then I'll have to suffer the wrath of God. And that's arrogance, egotistical, is what that is, to think that you can get to God and be in a better standing than going through his only begotten son who had no sin. That's pride and arrogance for somebody to feel that way. So God, I will say that God is going to start being punitive on a regular basis during the book of Revelation, but he'll still be redemptive too. He's not just going to be punitive. Right now, mostly what we see is God being redemptive. In other words, he's using sometimes his judgments, his actions, weakening our strength, allowing the enemy in and out at times, giving him the okay like he did with Job to work redemptive things in our lives. But there's a day where he's going to say, that's it. And I think Genesis says his mercy will not always strive with man. That you should reward your servants. He said the nations were angry in verse 18. Your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake and great hail. So if you go back to Exodus, you remember Moses built the temple or the tabernacle, ark of the covenant. He built it according to the pattern of heaven. So they've got all that structure in heaven reminding us of God's desire to be redemptive toward us. And then when you get in the New Testament, the veil's been rent, right? So that we have access to God. Now, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her head and garland of 12 stars. Then being with the child, she cried out uh, in labor and in pain to give birth. 
And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, the great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and the seven diadems on his heads. And we've talked some about that and we'll get into that again in, in our future study. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. Now, we get a flashback here, kind of like what Jesus did in Luke 21, Mark 24, or Mark 13, and, and Matthew 24. He gave us a flashback of what's going to happen, what happened with Israel, what's going to, and then a forward look. Here we see the symbology of all this. We see Satan, we see God, we see a third of the angels coming out with the dragon, Satan, and all that. We see Jesus here. We we know he's the one that's called to rule the nations, the rod of iron, their child. And we see that he was called up to God and his throne. So we know that Jesus went back to heaven, all that in the book of Acts. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she was prepared a place by God that she should feed her 1,260 days. Now, Israel is represented by the woman. I want to take you to Galatians because you need to understand what Paul teaches in Galatians for you to understand some of the language that's being used here. In Galatians chapter 3, let me take you to verse, um, let's go to verse, let's go to verse 10 because we've kind of been talking about some of this anyway uh, leading up to this. It says in Galatians 3 verse 10, now Paul's, you cannot live under the law and have Galatians in your Bible. You have to tear it out of your Bible. The law served its purpose, Right? And there's no excuse for disobedience. That, that's The people go, seem like we go from one extreme to the other. We can't stay in balance. But in verse 10 he says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written in verse 10, chapter 3 of Galatians, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things that are written in the, in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. Because we couldn't keep it. For the just shall live by faith. All right? Habakkuk talks about the same thing. For the, for yet the law is not, is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that's what I was talking about earlier. He's took our place. That's how you avoid being judged for your sin is accepting Christ, and then you receive that God has placed your judgment and my judgment on him. That the blessing of Abraham, or Abraham, might come upon the Gentiles, that's good news for us, right, in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the Holy Spirit's been given in measure in the New Testament like he was in the Old Testament. It's not that he wasn't around the Old Testament. That's bad teaching. He didn't just show up on the day. He was around Isaiah. The Bible talks about Isaiah being moved by the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel talks about all that. Samson, all the, So, But the Holy Spirit came in a different measure. In the Old Testament, he would come for a moment, for a task, for a season. In the New Testament, he's been given to us to take home with us, basically. And I did a pretty extensive teaching on that. You can catch online. And he says, Brethren, I, uh, I speak in this manner of men, though it is only of man's covenant, Yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Speaking of how men would operate. Now to Abraham, now notice this language. 
Now to Abraham and his seed, that's singular, not plural, were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds. You hear that? So whatever you have, or ever going to have, it's coming through the seed, the Christ, the one. You wouldn't have nothing. I wouldn't have anything weren't for God. We, if he stopped photosynthesis for 15 minutes, we'd all be finished. Wouldn't take 15 minutes. I just, that's the first thing popped in my head. If he stopped photosynthesis for just a few minutes, it's over. I don't think, the world surely don't realize how dependent they are on God. Even the most wicked person is dependent on God to survive. The Bible says God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. And how awesome is God to water the evil man's garden just like he does the good man? But the evil man don't recognize God. You've heard me say this many times. How would you like to be God? Of course, he's not offended the way men are. But how would you like to be God and create everything and get credit for nothing? That's where we're at in this world. Now, you and I aren't that way because we... We believe the Bible. But how would you like to be in God's place, position, and create everything and get credit for nothing and just watch men and women live their lives with no respect to Him and then get together and say, yeah, your God's just as big as my God. What? That's one thing us Christians got to start standing up against. Mohammed is dead and in the grave. He ain't coming out until that judgment day. Buddha Buddha didn't even claim to be deity. They didn't make him deity till 700 years after he was dead. And the list goes on and on and on. You and I, if you're a true believer, you need to stand up for God. Nobody else is doing it. We need to stand up and, and, and defend the faith like Jude talks about. Because this stuff's going way too far. God's made everything, and now he gets credit for nothing. And this world council they've put together with some of these rich guys that think they're smarter than everybody else, if you don't have any knowledge of God, you're not very smart. I don't care how smart you are in some particular subject or topic. If you don't have any knowledge of the Creator, you don't, you don't have, you're not very smart. But they're saying things, and I read some of these articles myself, they're saying one of them had the audacity to say that they think they could create a, a, a person better than, than God. Not that they give God, you know, I don't even know why he recognized God then. Then he says, to seed, not to seeds. So, your blessing and my blessing, I love my parents and my grandparents, I love them all, but I know where my hope and help comes from. They played roles in my life, but I wouldn't even have anything if it weren't for God. None of us would. He says, to seed, not to seeds, that's important, uh, uh, not as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant. Let me show you what happens here. This is what happened. Abram, all right, was called out by faith. He's the father of faith, according to Paul. Over here is the cross where Christ, where we're called to have faith. In between was where the law was given. It, it was never God's plan for man to live by the law, but we're stubborn. And we... Yeah, have you noticed that with your children as they grow, right? You watch them go through these stages. 
you know. What's the famous last words of a redneck? Watch this. <laughs> Sometimes you have to send back and let a child learn, hey, they can't do that, right? They got to learn. But Abram was later called, God changed his name. God's in the change of names, right? He changed his name to Abraham, right? He puts, uh, the Hebrew has guttural sounds, breath sounds. So God puts life in us. He changed his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, we're in Kentucky. We call him Abraham. But his name's Abraham. Sarah is how he would say that, right? So God's in the change of names to show that there's been a change of life. He changed Paul, Saul to Paul, right? And on, we're going to get a new name. All that kind of stuff. God's into that, right? Representative of salvation. God never intended for us to live by the law. It's always been by faith. But he gave the law to do two things. To prove to us we need a Savior and our inability to please God on our own, right? So the law, here it is. You want to please God and get to heaven on your own? Do it. And don't ever miss it. Nobody could do that, right? Only Jesus. So the law was given to prove to us our need for a Savior and our inability to show us our inability to please God. What would you have for dinner today? What kind of clothes you got on right now where you sitting? If you got some mixed stuff on you, you're done. You're finished. Most of us, we wouldn't even know the law, much less keep it. All, of, all the ins and outs of the law, we'd be out. And so God sent his son. Do you know this is the best deal in the universe? For God to send his son to take all of my shame, my sin, my guilt, and carry it away from me? And say, you can go to heaven if you'll receive that and believe on him. And if I fall seven times, get up. And he's over and over, he's forgiving. For us to be so arrogant and prideful that we won't lay our lives down, it's no wonder hell burns so hard. How would you feel toward people if you sent your child to die in agony and be mistreated the way Jesus was treated and have the back of your son or daughter shredded like hamburger meat where most theologians believe his organs were exposed by the time they were through whipping him. And no normal man would have been able to make it up that hill. None of us, we would have died on the block. We would have never, we would have bled out on the block. We would have never, that's why I say Jesus had to give up the ghost. Sin, the Bible says, death reigns because of sin. Jesus had no sin. They could have beat on him for 26 days. He had to release the ghost or his spirit. He had to release it. They couldn't kill him because death had no legal claim. Death reigns because of sin. Jesus had no sin, so he had to release himself, right? Remember when he done that on the cross? And do you, I release my spirit into your... That's why Jesus... No normal man would have made it off that block. But Jesus didn't have any sin. Death was probably running around scratching its head thinking, how come he's not dying? But he had to lay his life down, right? He said, no man takes my life. I lay it down. So Jesus has given us the best thing going. The seed. The seed 
has got us all covered if we'll receive it. The seed. Let's go back to Revelation. He's talking about this woman who represents Israel. He's talking about Christ. He's talking about Satan. And he gives us like a little snapshot of this whole thing. This whole battle is over Satan. Now, everybody say, this is what the preacher says. Anytime I give you some information, it's something I've learned or studied that's outside the Scripture. I make it clear. So you can throw this in the trash on the way out. You can scratch your head and say, hmm, whatever you want to do with it. But I'll give you a little information here. I've spent a lot of time studying Jewish history and Jewish language and the, all the, you know all that. Uh, eschatology has been something I've studied a lot, which is just a big word for end time stuff. But the Jews have a belief that what made Satan get sideways with God was Adam. Because Adam, now think about this. The devil was jealous, right? He had pride in him. Isaiah explains all that. But they believe that when Adam, and they've got recorded things they've handed down over the years that they've recorded of conversations they say Adam and Eve had, right? And those things weren't canonized, but they're like any other culture. They've passed things down over the years probably better than most cultures have believe what caused Satan to get crossways with God was Adam because Adam and this this wasn't said about the angels right Adam was created in the image of God all right now you can see how uh, how somebody who was created before Adam may think well, where's this coming from right and one of the conversations they say that took place this is in their history it's not canonized I will make that clear is that Michael, who we know is a warrior and, a, and one of the hierarchy uh, in, in the kingdom, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, and Lucifer is Satan who rebelled and got kicked out of heaven from reigning or living there. They say that when Michael and Lucifer were conversating, that he told him, now think about this, when he come into the earth's domain out of, you know, that he had to come under Adam's authority because Adam had a dominion here. So the devil just couldn't come down here in Adam's authority realm and tell him what to do. He had to come under, and they say that's what ticked him off. Makes more sense than anything else I've heard or thought about. We know the devil didn't wake up one morning with a headache and decide to overthrow God. How stupid was that? He missed his coffee that morning. So something moved Satan, right? Something caused him. And that's what they've handed down over the years is that uh, certain sects of the Hebrews believe that he got crossways with God because Adam was made in the image of God. Now, do you see why the attacks could be so ferocious from him toward us? When you get in the New Testament, God said, I'll fight your battles, right? I'll fill your mouth. All I need you to do is worship me. Because Satan appears to have been the worship guy out of the three. Gabriel is a messenger in the Bible. Michael's a warrior, so God kept his warriors. He'll fight our battle. God kept his messengers. He'll fill our mouths. He lost his worship team. 
they all, the third that was under the jurisdiction of Lucifer went with him. Bad choice, by the way, for those dudes. So he says, uh, and war broke out in heaven, verse 7, and Michael and his angels, here we see him as a warrior. We saw him as a warrior last week, remember, in the book of Jude, fight, fighting with uh, Satan over Moses' body. And his angels fought, uh, the, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole, uh, whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So evidently there's coming a day where the devil is going to be kicked out of the heavenlies, right? He's still working in the heavenlies now because he can go and appear before God to get permission to do certain things, right? And he also we read about the clash with the book of Daniel, right, where Gabriel talks about that and Michael and all that stuff going on. So we know there's a battle that transverses in. We know there's at least three heavens, right? Uh, and Paul talks about being caught up into the third heaven, right? So there's this traversing between the what we see, the atmosphere, the first heaven, then the, probably a space between there and the heavenlies. At least we don't know. We don't no way of having all that knowledge. But so the devil is still having a tra uh, being able to traverse in the spiritual realm, right? But now he's kicked out of there because God's just really starting to assert Himself and and bring all this stuff to an end. And he says, uh, he's cast out, and the angels cast out. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. And the accuser of the brethren, the accused them before God, our God day and night, has been cast down. So remember, he's losing his, he's getting, losing his power less and less. He's getting cast down. And we know that's how Satan works. He's constantly accusing us. And, of course, Jesus is uh, taking our place and going to bat for us. And they, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is forever making intercession for us. That's what Jesus is doing, praying for us. When you are at our best, guess what Jesus is doing, praying for us. When we're in the hospital, guess who's praying for us? Jesus, interceding. He's interceding on our behalf. When you're driving down the road, when your enemies come against you, when you lost your job, somebody's interceding for you. His name's Jesus. So he says, Now salvation, strength, the kingdom, for the accuser of the brethren accused them. Day, God day and night has been cast down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And a lot of times we quote that verse just to that point. But look at the next one. And they did not love their lives to death. You remember what I shared some Sunday morning about these guys who were willing to die, men and women both, all through the Scripture? Uh, they, the Bible says they refused to be freed from torture because they had their eyes on the prize, basically. They were convinced of who God was and what He had in store for them. Remember I told you, you think you got it bad? You wake up one morning, Dave, and you realize what else went on. You've lost your son with Bathsheba. Your other sons raped your daughter. Another son killed that son that raped your daughter. And then that son tried to steal your throne. You think you got trouble? Imagine waking up one morning and realizing all that. You know what? He refused to quit, though. He made it. Hey, we can make it. The worst thing you can do is feel sorry for yourself. 
And every time you start to feel sorry for yourself, you go back to the scripture and look at what some of these people went through. John Huss in the 1500s, they burned him at the stake while he was worshiping God. I told you about the little boy, 16-year-old, and the granny in the Colosseum in church history. Over and over, we see people who, are, who refuse to walk off or to deny Christ, and they paid the price for it in this life. But what did Jesus tell us? I think sometimes we forget some of the most elementary things Jesus told us. One of the things he said to us, he said, it's better to go through life without your foot or your hand or your eye than to miss heaven. Didn't he say that? Who's serious about it? I think Jesus is more serious about it than we are. He said, you'd be better off to go through life without a foot, a hand, or an eye if that's going to cause you to miss heaven. Another thing he said to us, this is Jesus talking. Now, don't be thinking about that crazy TV preacher. We've all seen crazy. This is stuff Jesus said. Jesus was way more serious about this than any of us are. And how can that be? He knows everything. He knows how bad hell is. He knows the real devil. He knows how he rebelled. He knows what's at stake. Another place he said this to us, simple, elementary, but real. He said, you shouldn't be afraid of anybody that can kill the body. He said, you need to fear the one that can kill both body and soul and cast it into hell. Plain talk. Plain talk. We've made our culture full of people that don't want to hear the truth anymore. But Jesus spoke the truth. And he knew what was at stake. And if he didn't believe what was at stake was real, he would have never went to that cross and suffered like he did. Now, I'm going to give you another reason why everything Jesus said was true. I want you to think about this. You may have not thought about this before. All these disciples either died or they tried to kill them. John, they tried to kill them. They couldn't because God wasn't done with them. That's consolation for all of us, right? If you're falling in the will of God, now, if you're out here in rebellion, you're, you're at risk. But if you're falling in the will of God, you ain't leaving here. I've proved that lately, right? You're not leaving here until he's done with you. That ought to make all of us have comfort right there. But let's think about these boys that followed Jesus. When, they, when Jesus went back and they were scattered, they, Paul wound up in France, just Glastonbury. You got Thomas, they believe, wound up down in India. All these different locations. They had no way of accountability. Nobody there. To, if this would have been a lie, one of them would have caved. There's no way they, Thomas would have let them fillet him like a fish if this was a lie. Because he had nobody to keep him accountable. Peter wasn't over there. Nobody was over there. He could have said, hey, boy, hey, this went way too far. I ain't willing to go there. Every one of them never recanted. They all stayed the course. And John, they tried to kill and couldn't kill him because God wasn't through with him. So they stuck him over there on the island. And look how the devil, he messed up there. He wrote the most prolific book in the Bible while he was sitting over there on the island. Let God be true and everybody else be a liar, including me. So these guys, none of them, none of them backed off. One of them would have, one, two, three, four. Peter, they crucified upside down. They say Paul, they took his head off. James, they beheaded. And on and on and on. These guys who would have said somewhere, listen, I'm over here by myself. They're getting ready to drag me through the streets like they did Thomas. They'd say, 
and fillet me. I ain't doing this. this is, hey, it was all, it's all a joke. He's not risen. But they all died because they knew it was real. Are you willing to die for the gospel? We got brothers and sisters around the world that do it right now. We got two, one of our churches that we have in Basilea here is in the hotbed of Muslim attacks. They hate Christians and they kill them. And somehow God has, not somehow, we know here, God has protected our church. In, in that country alone, our church has survived when hundreds of churches have been destroyed by Muslims. They come in, they lock them in the churches if they can, they burn them down with them in them. The women, they cut their breasts off so they can't feed their babies. And then they ask some of these Christians to recant, and if they don't, they cut them up with a machete. Happens regularly. They're getting encircled again right now. I talked to Stephen just last week. He asked us to pray because they're encircled. And they get in. They know this better than we do. We look on the world stage and we see all these false religions dressed up. All false religions are of Satan. It's just another way for him to deceive. In fact, it's one of the easiest ways for him to deceive. But they see them for what they are. And so if you take us and put us in the world like that, we would, we would be so, so caught off guard because they understand how all this works. And then he says, I heard this voice saying, Salvation, strength, and his kingdom of God, and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused him as being cast down, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony. They did not love their lives unto death. How about you? How about me? Would you die for the gospel? Remember the prophet? The prophet came up to Paul in Acts, and he took, took Paul's girdle, and he put it around himself. And he said, uh, the man that belongs to this girdle, basically, is going to be bound and hauled up to Jerusalem. And you know what Paul said? And they were all crying and weeping. And Paul said, not only am I ready to be bound and hauled up, but I'm ready to die for the gospel. He was willing. He says, and that's, that's what the rest of that verse says, right? People who love not their lives. Now, our battle here in this country is not dying physically for the gospel. We don't see much of that. This is a good mic. I heard my beard just when I moved there. <laughs> Sorry for you guys that are out in YouTube land there. Uh, they, these guys, they were willing to die for the gospel. We see people. We don't, we don't really have that same struggle yet. That could change. We understand that. Our, our uh, government for the last 60 years has went more toward uh, the world, Satan. And certainly in the 1920s is when our country started going the wrong direction. The roaring 20s when we got caught up into materialism and, and entertainment. And those things became priorities for us. So our problem is in Luke 21. If you want to go to Luke 21, let's listen to what Jesus said when he's talking about the end of time here. He talks about the end of time and he makes some interesting statements in verse 34. This Luke 21 is my favorite passage for the end of time with Jesus because this is the only place he alludes to the church being the true believer being called out of here, right? Then when you get in Corinthians, Paul, 
unfolds what we call the rapture. But he says, behold, I show you a mystery. He unfolds it for us. But Jesus, this is the only time we see Jesus allude to it. In verse, uh, Luke 21, verse 34, he says, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life. That's what he's telling us. That last one, right? Now, we have people who battle different things, right? Carousing is like that careless, partying, uh, live-for-yourself lifestyle. Drunkenness is that addictive lifestyle that we know uh, Jesus knew about because the last, uh, the four times that the word sorcery is used in Revelation, it's the Greek word pharmakia. We get the word pharmacy, drug. We understand God's not caught off guard with anything. But that third one, cares of this life. So Jesus gave us an example of that, didn't he? He said, uh, uh, come follow me. And he said, I bought some ox. I need to go check them out. Then he said, another guy, come follow me. He said, oh, I bought a piece of land. I need to go see it. Then he comes out, ah, oh, I need to bury my father. And if you read that without any context and understanding the day, you think, why would Jesus not get upset with him wanting to go to his dad's funeral? <laughs> that ain't what's going on here. His dad's, his father's not dead. He basically was saying, I want to stay with my dad until I get my inheritance. Because that's more important to me than following you. And another one, I mean, who buys a piece of land and don't look at it? Well, that's happened a lot in the last two years. But who buys oxen and don't look at them and go prove them? Who buys? Y'all remember that steakhouse, uh, Western Steer or something? Had to, I don't know why any of us eat there. The cow looked like it had never eaten a day in its life. <laughs> remember that sign they'd have? It was the skinniest looking cow. He's like, that cow's been in famine its whole life. So these people that made those excuses, how silly are those excuses, right? One said, I married a wife, can't show up, right? Your wife don't want to go to heaven? Think about how silly these excuses are. And then think about how the devil works in our lives. If you want an excuse, the devil will see to it that you have it. He don't have to. I, I, I saw a funny one time. Uh, this lady marched out of the Sunday school room. She was mad because the new Sunday school literature didn't match her new outfit. It's a cartoon. But, you know, it's that silly, right? It's that silly. You think about what people will put up with. They'll go to a ball game, have beer dumped on them, have, be cussed out or anything. I just There's all kinds of different things you could use. I just use a ball game. We'll endure anything. Because our team's on the field. When it comes to Jesus, we're ready to walk out because somebody didn't shake our hand. Really? Who are you doing this for? Remember what Peter said? The Lord was talking about John, all about John and Peter. Peter's kind of getting a little upset. So he asked Jesus about it. You know what Jesus said? He didn't say, well, come back here. Let me show you what I've got for you. It's really nice, Peter. He said to Peter, what's that to you? Follow me. Quit looking at John. I got, a bi I got business with John, and I got business with you. What's that to you? Follow me. 
And that's, that's, there's no cause for us to be jealous of anybody else. God will be just as good and as real in your life as he is the person you're sitting beside of. And before you get mad because somebody may have something you don't have or you think God's been better to them than you, don't judge anybody's harvest till you've seen their seed. If I sow 10 rows of corn and Craig sows 100, guess who's going to get more corn? Craig. So you may be getting mad at somebody that may be sacrificing a whole lot more than you're willing to sacrifice. We're not called to judge another man's servant anyway. The Bible says we don't judge another man's servant. He stands or falls to his own master. So you got a relationship. Somebody said, well, I could go further in God if it wasn't for my... No. Either God's in charge of your life or that other person you're thinking of is. You can't have it both ways. You can't say God's in charge of my life and can do whatever and then turn around and blame your husband because you can't go nowhere in God. It's, you can have as much of God as you want. That's all of us can. So he says, he says, he says, don't get caught up in these things. I'm going to close here in just a moment. Don't get caught up in these things and the drunkenness cares of this life and the day, that, uh, that that day come upon you unexpectedly. So he's warning us, right? Have you noticed how much Jesus warned us? Now, we don't like that kind of preaching much anymore in this country. And Jesus, and Paul told us that's how it'd be, right? He said in the last days, they'll heap teachers to them with itching ears telling them what they want to hear instead of what they should hear. Now, let me ask you this. This is funny to me. It's not funny. It's aggravating to me. I just tell you like it is. How come we, we, if we go to our doctor, our financial advisor, or whoever, we want them to tell us the truth. But when it comes to the preacher... We don't want him to tell us the truth. You don't want to go to a financial advisor and your 401k is tanked and him look at you and say, everything's fine. And then you wake up five years later and you ain't got to die. Right? Or you don't want to go to a doctor that finds a spot and says, it's all good. Get a box of Little Debbie cakes on the way out. We don't want that from our dentist. We don't want that from our doctor. And that's what this, my spirit-filled Christian thoracic surgeon told me. She looked at me and she said, before I heard from God to stay in Amarillo, she looked at me and said, I believe God brought you here. I mean, she was in tune with the Holy Spirit. She said, I believe God brought you here. She said, I, I feel like he brought you here for a reason and I'd be honored to do this. She said... But I understand you're 17 hours from home. She said, if you'd rather go home, we'll try to get you there. She said, but whether you stay or go, you're going to have to have heart surgery. And she said, I believe God brought you here for a reason. And so I like that. Plain talk's easy understood, right? But we live in a culture now where plain talk is hard to come by, right? <clears throat> so... God is faithful. Look what Jesus said. I'm going to close right here in this passage. For it will come as a snare. He said, don't get caught up in these things that that day comes on you unexpectedly, right? And I was going to get into Thessalonians. We'll do that next week. He says, uh, for it will come on a snare on all those who dwell on the whole fa face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy 
to escape these things. What things? The things he, he just read about. He just gave us some stuff about the tribulation period. Just what we're studying in the book of Revelation. He said, pray that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. It's the only time in Scripture where Jesus alludes to the rapture, the catching away, right? Paul then in 1 Corinthians 15 unfolds it, right? Why do you think that was true? Because Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. The Jews, for the most part, are going to miss the rapture because they don't believe that Jesus has come yet, right? They're, they've been blinded for our sake according to Romans chapter 11, right? Paul says they've been blinded because of their disobedience and for our sakes. It's a big, that's a big thing that we'd have to spend all Saturday talking about. So it's fitting that the Gentile, the Paul, even though Paul was a Jew, that he was the apostle of the Gentiles, it's fitting that he would unfold the rapture to the church, to the believer, because the church is primarily right now made up of Gentiles. And we're going to be the ones that are going to be focused on that. Now, there are Jews that are being converted. There are what we call Messianic Jews. I, I'm friends with some of them. Jonathan Kahn, some of you see him. I, I listen to Jonathan Kahn. He's a Messianic Jew. He's a Jew who believes that Jesus has already come. So that, that, but, but the focus of the rapture, what we call the rapture, and I, I extensively went over that. We'll go over it again probably next week extensively because it needs to be talked about. Rapture, where we, came, we borrowed that word from Latin, rapturo. And those people that say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, they, they, they prove their ignorance. The, the word hapogesometha, do you want to put that in the English Bible? That's the Greek word that means to be caught up, caught out. It's the word that they took. See, contrary to some folks in Kentucky and West Virginia and Tennessee, Paul did not carry a King James Bible. The English Bible came years later. We got this Hebrew, we got the Greek, we got the Greek Old and New Testament, we got a little bit of Aramaic mixed in there, and then we get the Latin, and then we start bringing all these up. The Latins took the word hapogesometha and gave the word was rapturo, right? Then we said, hey, we'll use a word that says that, that says that, and says that. That's how it works. So he says... Watch, therefore, pray always. We should be always praying. And Paul tells us the same thing in Thessalonians, that you may be worthy, accounted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. We're living in the last days. I make no apologies for that. In fact, I'm excited about it. Are we up to the task? Are you just going to mill around? Are you going to live a life of thankfulness? There's a difference between saying thanks and living a life of thankfulness. Does your life belong to God or does it still belong to you? You call your shots. Or does God call the shots in your life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your word. Thank you for how rich your word is. Lord, now I know as a fallible man, I don't do it justice, but I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit to help and I'm thankful that you've given me the opportunity to learn. And Lord, we want to take this word and let it motivate us. Let it make us be more like you when we leave here. And let it inspire us to share it with others. Lord, we want to be filled with your spirit and strength as we approach these last days. May we always keep our eyes on you. May we not get caught up in these things you cautioned us about. 
so that that day would catch us off guard unexpectedly. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Mm -hmm.